0: You're listening to the Pimpcron Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 204 of the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. Uh, it is going to be not necessarily a shorter show, really, but it is going to be a slightly different show today. Um, we have a. I will guess I will call it a real talk. It is part of our live Shorehammer discussion, the big roundtable discussion with roughly 30 people. And uh, they're all basically tonight. The topic is GW's balance and the and how they balance the game and also how people make the game their own, what they can find about enjoying the game and how they bring other people into it and nurture newer players. That's basically what it is. And, uh, it's not, it's, it's kind of a weird topic. It's a little bit of a mismatch, but it's all basically in that theme. And, uh, you, what I love hearing about this when I start listening to these clips again is the camaraderie and the, you know, elbowing and the, just the fun atmosphere of the people that come to Shorehammer. Like, I, I just love it. They're doing banter back and forth, making fun of each other. It just, it's very friendly, very, you know... I don't know what else to call it. Very friendly. So it just, listen to this, just really reminds me of it. And I'm like, oh man, four more months till Shorehammer. I can't wait. So the other thing we're talking about is Want That or Want That Not for Warcry. And they have a new starter set out. And I wanted to discuss that with you. So I'll tell you whether or not I wanted that. And of course, I can't forget that this episode and all episodes are brought to you by GameMat.eu. Let me say that again. and it's a (laughs) it's a it's a company that makes pre-painted resin terrain and uh battle mats and they sell stl files and stuff like that then also we've got uh our patreon oh my god our patreon patrons well i could never forget them yeah they they keep the lights on and they support the show and And I am forever in their debt. So as per our contract, each one of them that shows up to Shorehammer this year gets one slop, only one, limit one per person, sloppy smooch. So and uh, now there is some weird legalese in there where it doesn't have to be me per se. So I might trick somebody else into having to give out the sloppy smooches. But that's uh, (laughs) I don't know if you're if if the mood strikes me, then I'll fulfill the order. I don't know. Hey, I just don't want to make promises that I can't come through on, okay? This episode is already way off the rails, so that's basically our two main segments, although I believe this intro is going to be a little longer than normal because there's something that I wanted to discuss that is positive. Oh, it's not me complaining. It's actually very positive, and I wanted to discuss it. So before I get into that, So, really, this, that part of this intro really could be like a, well, here's an idea segment. It really could be, but ah, whatever. So, I have been, uh, working a lot and, uh, honestly, I have not done any hobbying or anything at all for, for fun in my free time. I basically, uh, I basically just sit down and, and go to sleep. So, that is the recap for what I've been up to. Uh, I did go to the club last week and, we played me and my friend T j. Now, this is the first game of mine with the Sylvaneth Codex, the new Sylvaneth codex. and T j is new to the Sylvaneth Army. So this is also his first or second game with Sylvaneth. And we were playing against our friend Josh and his um his night haunt. And the really cool thing was is that, you know, we don't get we're not in a very highly populated area or anything like that. And uh, so we we get, a few new players a year. Like, we, we probably have a stable of probably 12 people now that come semi-regularly. And we usually have between, like, 6 and 8 on, on any given game night. And sometimes we might have 8 or 10. But uh, it's only a couple times a year that we actually get any new players. And me and TJ were getting ready to team up against Josh with both of our Sylvaneth. And we'd go down there to get a drink, or I was talking to the guy at the counter or whatever. And then as we were walking upstairs... The uh, the guy behind the counter tells someone, oh yeah, just follow them up and come to find out it's a new player. So I was excited to get a new player and I asked him what army he had because we were going to you know change around our game so that he could get a demo. And he's like, oh, I brought Sylvanath. I'm like, what? So he's brand new to the game and we didn't know Sylvaneth that well either. So the three of us decided to pare down our lists. We got like 700 points each roughly and we pared down our list and the three of us uh, played against Josh and it was very fun uh, he got a really good first turn start uh, lead over us and we slowly were closing the gap but at the end we basically had to uh, he still I don't I don't know if there was any actual way we could have turned it around and actually won I think in the if everything went perfect I think we might have been able to tie maybe But basically, Josh won, so we we ended up calling it, but it was a lot of fun. I got to play Sylvaneth, which I haven't played in a while, and they're one of my very favorite uh, Age of Sigmar armies, and TJ seemed to enjoy the Sylvaneth, and the new guys seemed to enjoy it, so it was pretty cool, and I always love team-up games anyway. It's fun to play with someone against a common enemy, and that actually brings me into what I was going to say. You know, I don't really do Codex reviews because they're not timeless, and I try to keep all of my episodes as timeless as possible so that they are good a year or five years from now you can still go back and listen to them and I know a lot of you do you go back and go through the backlog and um, so I try to keep them evergreen but the intro of the uh, podcast is always a little bit more like current eventy you know like what I've been doing or whatever so um, that's why I kind of wanted to fit this in here Um, the new Sylvanath book I think they've done a fantastic job on it is agile it is capable It is tricksy, there's a lot of strategies you can do, and it has completely breathed new life into this army, because the Sylvanath were notoriously like one of the bottom tier armies, they just were not very good, and they've done a lot of stuff to mitigate that. And remember, if you play Age of Sigmar, people used to drop down, they had to bring a whole separate transport just for all their trees, all their wildwoods they would bring, if you recall. So now they've done something that's pretty cool is, uh, and this is just straight up good game design, in my opinion, instead of requiring you to buy all those wildwoods, you can still buy the wildwoods and you can still spawn them. You can do them with spells. Your tree Lord ancients um, can bring up one uh, uh, grove once per game and stuff like that. So there are ways still to get them, but if you don't want to do that, instead you can pick at the beginning of the game, you pick three terrain features and they all become basically overgrown, which is, for all intents and purposes, it is a wildwood grove. Now, there are some very slight differences in some of the rules, but 90% these overgrown terrain features are basically wildwoods, and that right there prevents you from plopping down 17 wildwoods on the table and cluttering up the whole board and all that, which is a problem we had during Shorehammer some years, because when Sylvaneth was a little better in the meta, you'd get players and they'd bring their six, their six groves, and they're like, "Okay, I put one out for free, and then my I got two Tree Lord Ancients. They each put out one, and then this person knows a spell. Actually, everybody, every wizard knows the spell of putting out another one, and it's just it just got crazy." But they have all of their same shenanigans they had with teleporting between the groves and all that, um, which is pretty cool. But now, I don't recall exactly how far you had to be from the the groves before. I think it was like within three inches or it might have been within one inch. You had to be like wholly within an inch or three inches in order to teleport. Um, Now it's within nine inches, wholly within nine inches of a grove to teleport to another one. And that is awesome. And then there's even ways to extend that. You could be up to 12 inches away and teleport. But that's not all. They've also um they haven't necessarily increased all the saves like my um my tree revenants are basically the core of my army. I always love that unit. It's the long-haired guys like with that are half tree and half like long-haired ghost guy. Yeah. There I love those guys. And they used to have a five up save in one wound and they were pretty crap. Like they would die instantly. Well, now, they're two wounds. There's still a five-up save, but you know what? If they're two wounds, that's totally fine with me. And now they're a little more durable, and there's plenty of ways to bring people back because of magic, and there's plenty of ways for um, uh, teleporting to happen, and even even beyond all that. So some of the units did get a plus-one save or something, and some of them got new abilities, and the um, the dryads are much better now. I think they used to be minus-one to hit, if they're within X amount of a Wildwood, but now they're minus one to hit and minus one to wound, which is fantastic. Um, but the big deal, I think, is that there is an army-wide ability that once per, I guess, combat phase, for free, you can choose to strike and fade. And that is such a fun mechanic. So as soon as one of your units that's wholly within nine inches of a Wildwood... Um, as soon as they strike in close combat, you can choose to strike and fade with them. And when they do, you pull them off and deep strike them elsewhere. So it was so cool lining up those shots where you bait the enemy, get them to charge you and, or you charge them, whatever. And you're not and you're within nine inches of the tree. And then you attack them for everything you're worth and teleport away. Like that is, that was fantastic. So I have always liked agile and tactical armies over just, ooh, two up you die sort of things. And this just, man, the, my jimmies are all rustled. They've been rustling for the last couple days. And I am in a good way, not, not in a bad way. So I feel like I complain so much on this podcast that I, sh- I should probably give GW props for this book. I don't think the Sylvaneth are overpowered in any way. But I do feel like they're very healthy now in the in the per in the current meta. They do have some punch to them, but they're still kind of frail and they're very maneuverable. And that is the perfect mixture for me because I really like that. So see, the pimp cron doesn't always just complain. No. Anyway, by the way, I'm out of uh, letters. I didn't have any letters this week. Otherwise, you would have gotten a Tesseract mailbox too. But nobody. <laughs> Nobody texted me. Nobody emailed me. Yeah, I need emails. So, all right. Well, let's get on to the first segment. Want that or want that not? Hey, it is time for me to look at something and tell you whether or not you should buy it. And I expect only the closest adherence to what I say. So today we're discussing, as we do sometimes, a starter set for a game that Games Workshop makes. And this time it is Warcry, Heart of Grr. So, this is apparently the uh, Realm of Beasts, and it's supposedly a whole new edition. So, edition, not addition. So they say this is a new edition of Warcry, and I'm feeling like, isn't this like the seventh Warcry edition they've made? I don't know, maybe it's only the second, but... It seems like they've had a lot of editions of Warcry. I might be way off on that, but let's get into this. So first off, you get the core rulebook, and you get a bunch of cards, and you get a bunch of tokens, and you get scenery, and a gaming board, and some dice, and then two full warbands. I actually am digging the artwork on the cover of this box and on the cover of the book, um, it does have a different. I think they're using a different font, and they're the whole color scheme and the in the palette and the images. It's actually pretty neat. It actually doesn't even look like a Warhammer game, to be honest with you. It does have the Warhammer Age of Sigmar logo on the top, obviously, but uh, it just looks like it's something from another company. I don't know why. Just the aesthetic does. Um, now this terrain here is, oh, man, it's hard for me not to love it and at the same exact time it's hard for me not to hate it. So let's get into exactly what the scenery is. The scenery set has a lot of trees and the trees have a very interesting aesthetic. They almost look like have you ever seen like an anatomical picture of someone that has been skinned to show like the whole muscular uh musculature and all. These trees look a lot like muscles. And I don't know why necessarily. I actually expected The ends of the branches to have hands on them or something, but they actually have leaves. So they're painted brown, but they're like woven and intertwined like muscle clusters would be. And uh, it comes with a bunch of different trees. They've got different platforms, like bamboo platforms attached to them and all of that. And I'm looking at another tree now, and it just looks like it should have hands at the end. It doesn't. This one has like some sort of spikes at the end. Maybe maybe these aren't leaves on any of them, actually. Maybe they really are fingers or something. Um, Now that I'm looking really close. These two trees do appear to have like claws. The other trees, it's very hard to determine whether or not these are leaves or claws. They may actually all be claws. And if that's in the case, if that's the case, then that makes a way less sense from a biological and scientific standpoint, but B, way more sense, because the trunk of the tree looks like muscle. So this whole box set has me going in different directions. I will go down on the books as saying, I do like the aesthetic of these trees, and I do like the bamboo fortifications and things like that, that they have on the trees. So all of that is actually pretty neat. They've got a bunch of like uh, rope walkways to go in between the trees and all that. My problem with this set... Uh, is that there's almost no line of sight blocking. Almost none at all. And you would have to be standing directly behind the trunk of a tree for you to be out of line of sight. And even then, you've probably got an arm sticking out or something. Also, they do this thing, which I absolutely hate. They waste plastic by putting out all these little scatter things, right? It's like part of a rib cage of a beast and it's like sticking up out of the ground it's not going to provide you cover it's not going to do anything for you matter of fact even if you had to get around it like you walk around it it's adding what an inch maybe two inches to your movement it's not even i don't know and once once again i've said this before that if they would just combine all the plastic they used to make all of this frivolous crap that doesn't matter they could have had a whole nother two train pieces, like like actual trees or actual whatever on the train. That is where I start losing patience a little bit because they always love to throw in. Look at this. Okay, I'm going to tell you if there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve terrain pieces in this image. Twelve, and four of them are actual terrain. The other eight are these little nitpicky crap that doesn't do anything for anyone and I, I don't know why they even go about doing that. Let's move on to the war bands. So you apparently have two different war bands in this set. Let's take a look and see what they look like, okay? The for the forced war band, I don't know why I said it like that. The first war band you have are people that look like they could be out of a Mad Max thing, uh not because they look like raiders necessarily, but I believe it was Mad Max where they would occasionally wear like animal heads on their head or something like that. I could be way off on that, but that's just the gut feeling they give me. And they have a bunch of like um, metal plates and chains and I don't know. I kind of feel like their design is all over the place. They wouldn't make terrible cultists or something like that for, um, for a Chaos Army, but There's just so much going on. Let let me just explain to you what's going on on this warband, okay? I'm going to take one model and you tell me if this is too much. First off, he's wearing boots. Okay, so far so good. Then he's got like a samurai metal skirt of metal plates on chains that goes around his body. Then he's got a crotch tabard. Then he's got a chain around his waist with uh, the rest of the remaining remainder of the chain hanging in front of his crotch. Then he's got pants on under that. Then he's got this weird belt buckle thing. Then he's got some skin underneath like this vest that only covers like his shoulders and chest. It doesn't cover his ribs or his waist. Then on top of that, there's like a little loop. And then there's trim on that, of course. And then he's got like weird leather shoulder pads with more trim. And then he's got bracers on each forearm, and then he's holding something that's smoking, I can't tell. And then he's also holding a staff, the staff has a lot of detail on it. And then on his short leather shoulder pads, he's got several weird spikes coming off. Then he's wearing this helmet that looks kind of like Lord Zed from the Power Rangers. And then on top of that, he's got this weird skull attached to his helmet that has horns and teeth. Like, that is a lot... Oh, I forgot whatever's dangling next to his belt. He's got, like, a canteen or something next to his belt. That is a lot of different directions for one model to be going in. Like, a lot. So, if they if they didn't have the metal and they went more with the bone aesthetic, okay, I get that. Or if they didn't have the bones and went more with, like, a steampunky or a, a I don't know, industrial period, um, I could also get that. But this is a weird mismatch, and I'm not particularly fond of this this army. I don't I don't think their look is cohesive enough to be considered a look, right? If your uh, six year old daughter goes in the closet and she comes out and she's wearing seven different article uh, clothes, articles of clothing from your closet, and then like the socks don't match and the shoes don't match and she's wearing like a hat and sunglasses and a, and a bow tie and a vest and then also a dress and then also a t-shirt over that. And then all like it just it just does not work. If you put a bunch of stuff together, it doesn't necessarily work. So this first war band, I am not a fan of. I think it's just weird. It's like a bad kit bash. Let's take a look at the next war band. The other war band. Now, this other war band really has it going on, I think. It's got a weird, nurgly bamboo sort of aesthetic, and honestly, I'm really liking it. Really liking it. So basically, all these guys are wearing like shorts, and a lot of them are barefoot. And on top of them, they have uh, on their on their upper half, they have like a cloak. Think of like a uh, what are they, uh, Talarn? No, it's not Talarn. Anyway, look, uh, it's basically like like a rogue from D and D. They've got like a um. Uh, A hood on over their head, and then like this cloth that drapes from shoulder to shoulder. It's not really a shirt. It's just like a poncho that goes over their shoulders. And they've got lots of bones. Instead of metal, they went more with the bone aesthetic, which looks pretty cool. They've got a lot of bamboo stuff, like a bamboo shield and bamboo dick tabards. And their weapons are like sticks with bones in them. And I am getting a much more cohesive feel from these things. I cannot begin to tell you what exactly is going on with their leader. Their leader is a real weirdo. I I can't. (sighs) Let me try. Have you ever seen those short stilts that drywall users, uh, drywall installers use? They're like three feet tall. Um, Occasionally you'll see them in a parade or something where they're not full stilts. They're not like eight foot tall stilts, but they just make you like three feet taller. Well, he's basically on those, but those are made out of bone, and he's tied his feet to them. So that's kind of something. And then he's got chains coming off of his, uh, well, actually, no, I think that's rope. That's rope coming off of his uh, weapon, which is a stick with bones tied to it. And he's got this weird bone thing hanging over his shoulders, like a, like a banner or an icon of some sort. But it's, like, one bone, and it's got all these gourds hanging from them. And, like, a skull. He's got this weird frog thing, like a baby slant on his shoulder. And he's got, like, a syringe? I don't know what he's got in his other arm. He's got, a like, a giant syringe. And weirdest of all, really, none of this is too bad so far. Weirdest of all, his helmet is almost like Pyramid Head from Silent Hill. It's, like, this weird triangular thing made out of bamboo. To the point where it's, like... He can't see anything. He can see jack all, basically. I don't know what he's doing in combat with tiny, tiny, tiny slits for him to look out of. But overall, I really can't hate on this warband. I actually really like this warband. I could definitely see buying this warband for brutality, or uh, if you wanted to, if you were doing like Nurgle, you could definitely use these as Cultists for 40k. Um, they're they're very very interesting, and they stuck to one aesthetic. Think of a D and D rogue. That has influences from a barbarian. And that's basically them. So this is the point where we get to the price tag. How much would you bet this is? Well, you're all at least betting $200, right? At least. Well, it's $230. And being a non-Warcry player, I am absolutely not going to buy this. Not, And here's why. Even if I was a Warcry, Warcry player, I don't think this is a great deal. Now you might say it's a great deal because if you bought all these things separately, GW's inflated the price to the point where this is a discount. Sure, that that might uh, nominally be the thing, the case, but this one warband looks really cool. The Nurgle bone flute bam- bamboo guys—they look really cool. They're the only redeeming thing in this set to me, at least. The terrain once again provides almost no line of sight blocking at all. It's basically window dressing that you would put on a table around the real terrain is basically what it is. It's not any actual real terrain. I find it very hard to believe they'd even call this a starter set because it's almost nothing. Um the other warband is completely like you've got your one friend that's terrible at kit bashing and he just likes to glue a bunch of crap from a bunch of different stuff together. That's what the other warband looks like to me. And um of course I don't care about the books or the tokens or the cards or anything like that. So this is 100% not a want that for me. Now it's time for Real Talk with Cron. One of the
1: challenges that Games Workshop has, and I'm not going to badmouth them because they're a company to make money. God bless them. I hope they keep making money and keep making miniatures we keep playing. But one of the things they do is, unfortunately, the tournament scene dictates rules, and one of the things that's a challenge for, I consider myself the average player, I think of what's the second kind of cool, like, I th- I really like this unit, this what I'm going to play. It sucks, but I'm going to use it. But the thing you run into is you have people playing at a tournament level that, that figures out the the new codex that goes, okay, if I do this with this scenario and this scenario, I will win the game. So they cater to the changing those rules to balance it from a hyper-competitive standpoint. So that's one of the challenges you have between what I consider myself as a player and a tournament level player. So, and that's just one of the side effects of the game is the game gets more and more popular. You're seeing it in more eSports. You're seeing more televised tournaments. It's going to keep growing in that direction,
2: I, I feel. This is my first event ever. I started during COVID. Um, thank you guys. My perspective on this is that I just was watching like you know uh battle reports and stuff while painting, figuring things out. I hit the ground running today, and every game I had, I felt comfortable and confident like I made mistakes, but the people I played with were awesome, and they were like, "Oh actually no, that's not that that's not exa- no he was awesome um everything. I mean, everything worked out great. Like I, I, had so much fun today. I, it was, there was nothing wrong with what, what today was, uh, and so I, I, don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the game for people who want to have fun and play the game. Like if you want to get super competitive and get grindy with it, you're going to find issues with the grind because any, any game that has a that super competitive aspect is going to fa- have that. But if you're just out there to roll dice and have fun, this game is great. And so, that's all I want to say. Thanks. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, a lot of us are coming at this from the perspective of many editions, Thinking, well, back in my day, or this and that, right? As a new player, it's a brand new game system. It plays pretty alright. There's a lot of rules, and sometimes the stratagems, at least for like... For example, I'm playing Thousand Suns, stratagems, cabal points, a million other things. Trying to learn the army is it can get really hard, especially if it's you're kind of trying to learn it coming to a tournament. You don't want to like be mean to your opponents, like hold on, let me look this up ten times in a round. But at the same time, it still plays very well. It's not a slog of a game in general, so they're doing all right with it. So I'm sitting here next to the guy who got me into this game in I don't know 2002 or something like that. This guy right here, Kevin. Um, and I started playing Chaos Space Marines back then, and now I'm probably up to eight factions I play, something like that. I, I've played in everything from Nova to Adepticon to here at Shorehammer to casual casual events at my local game store on on once a month type thing. And I find that the game is what you make out of it, like. When people come up to me and they're like, "Well, what should I play?" and i was like, "Well, pick an army that you like the look of. Pick something that you want to paint. Pick something that you like the design of, or you like the tactical feel of. You know, you don't have to know how the game plays at all. But if you look at a box and you go, "Oh my God, those guys look amazing," buy them, paint them, build them, paint them, see how you feel. Go from there because these are the people you're going to be looking at for three hours around or so for however many times you want to play them. You might as well enjoy something. And I come, I come here every year, and it is it's not the most competitive scene, it's not the most casual scene. I come here because it's a good time, I like the people, I like the event, I like the way everything's set up, and I come here to roll dice and kill things. And if I do great, I I win. And if I do terrible, I still win, because I had a whole lot of fun. And I feel like that's how I approach Warhammer, is if I had a great time, it's great. So if I'm playing against somebody who's ruining my fun well why do i want to sit there and have my fun ruined for a couple hours when i could go play somebody else who maybe will push my poo poo in but i will but i'll have a a laugh i'll have a great time we'll tell a great story like that to me is warhammer right there
4: i got him into uh warhammer because he got me into world of warcraft i uh I have to say, uh, when I was in college and the years right after, um, so we're talking like 2007, you know, uh, I was uh, in a hyper-competitive scene. Literally every game I played was a practice game for someone getting ready to Nova. And if you don't know what Nova is, it's the annual kind of like big throwdown for the East Coast, one of them. And so every time I played, I was playing against somebody's Nova list, somebody's like grand tournament list. And when I moved back home and met Scott... Uh, it took me a good year to learn how to pull back. And because I had literally never played against a Warhammer person who was a beer and pretzels crowd who just <laughs> was like, I have this army because it's fun. I was like, what? Yeah. And I would like, guess what? I got a two up cover save on everybody in my army. I'm not moving. I got four units of long fangs and I'm going to blow you off the board by turn two. Wasn't that fun? And they're like, no. And I was like, it was fun for me. <laughs> So I've learned how to like pull back now and I've played in tournaments where my opponent was a jack wagon and was real nitpicky about every single little mistake. And it wasn't even just Warhammer. It was other games like uh, Star Trek Attack Wing. And I literally just quit the game uh, halfway. Like I was like, I just picked up my models like you got it. And he was going to win anyway. But I picked up my spaceship was like, I'm done. You win. And he was like, but I was like, no, man, I am having the negative of fun right now. And I, I'm like, I'm having the opposite of fun. I'm literally shaking. I've never been this upset at a tournament before. And coming here, I'm like, I really love the, love the scene. And all the games I played, there were times where my opponent made a mistake. I'm like, you want to go this way instead? They're oh, yeah. You know, and like, I, I, I lost all my games today, but I had fun in every game today. You know, I was like, 10 years ago, I would have been like, I'm a loser, I suck, you know, and now I'm like, I was going to drink and it was fun.
3: (laughs) So uh, one of the guys, my first round opponent is sitting right across here on this uh, forum for me, and you know, he told me he just got into it over the pandemic, and my whole focus that entire game was to make sure that this guy had an enjoyable tournament experience, and I wanted him to have fun, win, lose, draw, whatever, I wanted this guy to walk away from the board saying, hey, you know what, that was a great game and it was
2: yeah, I, this is Don here this is my fourth year here this is great um, I, I play AOS and I do play 40k this year I played AOS but um, it is what you make of it and um, the best thing to do is look up a miniature you like and that's how I pick my miniatures if I, if I don't like the look of it if it's not beefy, if it looks too fruity I'm not painting it I, I just, I'm serious. If it's gonna fall apart when I look at it, I'm not painting that. If it, it's nice and beefy miniature, I will paint that. I love it. So that's that's what I love about the game. And they have a new edition in uh, AOS, and um, it feels it feels great to play it this year. It was great. It was great. Hey guys, you like your models thick? Is what you're saying? <laughs> Be- Speaking of quality of games, the best game was the game where I scored zero except for the five pity points for Painted Army. That was my best game.